in the ballpark, season 2020, here we go! Martin to put pressure, still with Martin, can he kick a fourth? So the last time we see the little master. So in a season like no other, the champions have been able to do what only the toughest six strongest can do in 2020. The Tigers again. One hundred and ten days away from Melbourne, their players at times wanting to leave their Queensland hub, off-field indiscretions, on-field brain fades, comprehensively beaten in the first qualifying final, had to get into the grand final the long way round. 22 points down in a grand final. Backs against the wall. The Tigers of old came to the fore and won. Special finals performer, Sir Dustin Martin, <laughs> delivered when his team needed and inspired a truly professional and profound comeback that saw the Tigers create a dynasty. <laughs> That's right, gents. Three flags in four years, back-to-back premierships and the first ever night grand final winners. History has been made. And we're here to discuss every bit of it. Welcome to this week's Grand Final Review and 2021 Season Preview Edition of In The Ballpark. I'm your host, Michael Serpell, and it is my privilege to present the two men who have been drinking out of trophies on a virtual golf course singing dreams by Fleetwood Mac. They may have been mixing something in with that cranberry juice. Ooh-wee. Ooh-wee. <laughs> Introducing the umpire who saw Razor Ray being carried off on a stretcher after he tried joining in on the Tigers after party and the umpire who successfully kept all those nagging seagulls out of the MCG whilst Mike Brady did his live <laughs> performance of Up There Kazali to an empty MCG. Oh. It's Ryan, fly me over an empty MCG, Fryzy Hartwick. Fryzy, welcome to you, mate. Servers, thank you. Hello, boys. And there you go. Can you believe it? 2020, we got through it somehow. The season has uh, reached that completion stage at uh, times we thought we would never get there. Must say as well, I think um, we'd all agree the umps probably did a solid job, I think, on Saturday evening. Nothing of note to report, which in their eyes, I suppose, um, is maybe a good thing. But look, banking on Razor Ray, getting the Guernsey next year. We can only hope. Guys, I think we were treated to a fair quality grand final and serves. I've got to tell you, anyone who thinks it's just the magpies this time of year, it's not. Those seagulls... They are a handful. Unbelievable. They have to bring back that fake eagle at the very top of the MCG to keep him away. But, hey, don't worry about that. We've got you, and you're a very big, valuable asset to the MCC members, Fryzy. Oh, thank you, Seb. So, uh, no, they were, uh, they were thrilled with, um, with the job I did there. But, of course, with no football there now for a minimum six, seven months, they've uh, got me on the job keeper until then. But I've got to say... That might be one uh, for the bring it back. Whatever happened to the to the giant hawk, I don't know. Who knows, Fryzy? We might be seeing you back at the MCG on Boxing Day. Fingers crossed. And by the way, Fryzy, how good was up there, Kazali? It was fitting, wasn't it? Mike has not lost a single inch. He's like the Tigers. He keeps coming back each year on the biggest stage of all. And... 
Frizy, what about the message on the MCG turf as well? May the best team win was ridden across the turf with the two grand final skippers. And I heard the only reason why they didn't include Dusty was they didn't have enough time to prepare the tattoo sleeve. How about that, Frizy? Oh, well, <laughs> I'm not surprised. I even think by next year's grand final, they wouldn't be able to get that done. All the intricate details of that artwork is fascinating. I've got to say... Those were fantastic symbols and uh, a little bit of recognition done by the MCG. Far, far more significant in my eyes than the little cricket pitch strip of grass they put on the boundary line. I'm still not sure what that was about, but anyhow. I know they tried to bring a piece of Melbourne to the Gabba, but I think at least with 10,000 Richmond fans there, that surely would have been enough. And let's welcome the man who knows how many shots the Tiger team had to take Every time Nathan Broad mentioned he received two votes in the Norm Smith medal count. The man who knows how many sleeping pills Lee Matthews had to take. Every time Nathan Broad mentioned he received two votes in the Norm Smith medal count. (laughs) And the man who knows how many chairs Craig Bellamy kicked over after he heard... That's right. Nathan Broad received two votes in the Norm Smith medal count. It's... M. Tonner, free votes. Maxi, welcome to you, mate. Thank you very much, sir. Your introductions have been fantastic all year. But on the, sitting on the Lee Matthews theme, do you remember that footage of him at the old Dome back in the day just, just nodding off in the middle of a game just with that completely blank stare in his face? So he's got, he's got a bit of a record of doing some strange things, Lee. He looked fully comatose there, Maxi, didn't he? But, yep, Lee Matthews, he's had a few brain fades in the past and... Well, whenever he's down at Windy Hill, we always try to remind him of the broken post as well. He's a he-man! That's right, Lee. But come on, mate. Two votes to end broad. Not too sure if you had that one on point. Uh, I think he, he mentioned that those two votes were, I think, meant to go to Jaden Short. But, um, yeah, the, the crowd about the Craig Bellamy, he was pretty fired up, but rightfully so. The Storm were fantastic. They got tested late, but um, we'll give a shout-out to the Storm, doing Melbourne proud, so... Yeah, shout out to the Storm. Awesome club and a great performance on Sunday night. And how good was it, gents, to have two Victorian sides interstate mm. winning it for Victoria? How good is that? Victorian pride has never been stronger. Yeah, well, you wouldn't have known it listening to the NRL commentary. <laughs> they weren't too happy. I think they were all behind the Penrith Panthers. Who, shout out to them. They had a, a pretty awesome year themselves. I think they ended up winning 16 in a row. They only lost two games all year. So they were sort of looking like the bombers of 2000 at one stage, but they ran into the storm. They were just too good. Often those professional outfits, the ones who have that system mm-hmm. down pat and the right players, the right experience around, well, as we've seen with both of those sides that have won this weekend, that's the right formula to have. Absolutely, man. If they're so much like Essendon of 2000, well, Storm fans better prepare themselves for 20 years to come of disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into our ultimate grand final review. What a way to end the 2020 Premiership season. Two of the big Victorian heavyweights going for glory in one of the best fights we've seen all year. It was the grand final the footy public needed. A close contest, moments of brilliance, moments of draw-dropping courage, big hits, big plays, a big halftime comeback, and a player who tore the game apart and made history, stamping his authority as the best finals player of a generation. The Tigers' victory came after Geelong's second-quarter blitz saw them run away with a 22-point lead. The Tigers were rattled. The Cats set up well behind the ball, allowing them to have repeat entries inside their forward 50 and some seriously good looks at goal, which were squandered. And if Geelong took some of their chances, would it have been a different result? Hmm. We'll never know for sure, but the mountain would have definitely been higher for the Tigers to climb Individual brilliance from Dusty before the halftime siren kept the Tigers within clawing distance of the Cats. And after a spectacular halftime show from Shepard, the spectacular Shepherds continued <laughs> from the Tigers this time as they rallied nine second-half goals to Geelong's two to run away 31-point victors. Shane Edwards, brilliance in the engine room. Jaden Short's pinpoint accuracy and dash combined with another Dustin Martin's final special 
reflected in the Norm Smith votes, not to mention a couple of handy marks from our man, Nathan Broad. That's <laughs> right. As the Tigers, after 110 days out of Victoria, won the most significant of their three recent flags. Truly remarkable. Well done, Richmond. And fellas, what did you think of this grand final? Uh, you summed it up very well, sir. <laughs> to me, just watching it, it sort of had the 2019 prelim written all over it, which these two sides obviously played against each other. Obviously, Richmond were down at half-time and then just stormed all over Geelong. We were watching the game together, mate, and we said, Geelong, they dominated, especially that second quarter, and we just said they just didn't make enough of their dominance. As good as things were looking at half-time for Geelong, we just thought they wasted a few opportunities and they probably should have been two or three more goals up than what they were. Specifically, I know it's pretty harsh because I thought Brian Myers was actually one of John's better players. I thought he had a crack all night. That miss where he took the mark and he played on, I know he actually had a fairly open shot, but in a grand final, you go back and take the pressure on yourself and you go and kick that goal. So they had a few um, missed opportunities that the John Long players would be thinking about and just ruining all summer long. But as you said, Dusty Martin snapped that goal somehow just before halftime and sort of brought the momentum back in Geelong's way and you just thought as soon as he kicked that goal you'd just tell as soon as the probably five minutes into the third quarter Richmond got their ball movement and their game going you just see the players Edwards those kind of players just streaming off half back and running through the middle and from there it was all Richmond in the third quarter it was four goals to one and in the fourth quarter it was five goals to one so nine goals to two in the second half which is complete dominance and also Richmond we sort of talked about how dominant Geelong are in terms of possessions, where Richmond actually beat Geelong in the possession game, where Geelong are a traditionally high disposal team. They're ranked second in the comp. Richmond are ranked 12th for disposals, and they beat them there. And again, Richmond won clearances for the third time in a row. So we've sort of talked about the last couple of weeks where Richmond have sort of changed their game cup finals, which is a little bit surprising, considering they haven't done that in their previous two premierships, where traditionally Richmond have never been a clearance team, but the last three weeks, they've won clearances. So they've sort of turned that around. And as you mentioned, the Richmond individual brilliance. Martin, obviously, with four goals and 21. Edwards had 27 and was fantastic. And also Jaden Short, 25 and heaps of metres games. And also like Presti's game. He didn't have as much of the ball as he probably usually would, but he also snuck forward and kicked two goals, which is handy. And then you compare that against the Geelong Stars, who didn't shine on the night. You look at Hawkins, only had one goal and 10 disposals. Dangerfield... Only one goal and 12 disposals. And I think that'll be the main question mark amongst a lot of people is, you know, when Richmond got started to get that dominance to the third quarter, is Chris Scott, you know, he's probably going to ask himself this question and he'll have his own answers, but everyone will be asking the obvious move that he didn't really make to put Dangerfield into the midfield for a high spell. Ablett learning after the game that he played the game with a broken shoulder, but at the end of the day, you didn't get the return out of Gary Ablett that you did in that Brisbane preliminary final, which is what Geelong would have been after. Even Guthrie was sort of down a little bit and at 14. Really, the only star for Geelong on the night was Mitch Duncan, who he had 25 and kicked the goals. He can hold his head high, but as I said, <laughs> Geelong should have been two or three goals further up. And as soon as you watched the first five minutes of the third quarter, you just knew that they were in trouble and Richmond were going to storm home. Well, boys, now those three goals from Dusty, he could have just about had... Three kicks, three goals, nothing else for the night and probably still been deserving of that medal. They're just freakish goals, particularly the second and the third. They were at critical stages where I think you knew that, yep, he's on again and the result is probably going to be much the same. He is the best finals player that any of us have seen. Will we actually see better? I don't know. But you mentioned the word generational serps and it's spot on. I can't really think of anything more appropriate at the moment to describe that man. Again, as we've said all season and probably the last few, it's a system that at times is ugly, but we know that it works. And in many ways, you're, you're looking at a system that has a whole bunch of good, solid footballers, but they've got a once-in-a-generation star in the middle. They've now got two excellent key forwards, and they just... I don't think the plan is that complex either, but I just think they know how to put it together. They can play the ugly scrap style, but once they release, they actually have the skills to execute as well, and they always have. Just on Mitch Duncan as well, he's Probably, I reckon, since his career kicked off, boys, it feels like about a decade or so ago. And across that time, I can't think of too many more consistent footballers than him mm. across the whole competition. Um, 
it really take my hat off to him. He continues to keep on. If you're a Cats fan, gee, perhaps stating the obvious, but the frustration would have been through the roof. The only thing that could have been worse was losing another prelim final, I dare say. Whether they can get back at the last day, the Cats, I'm not sure. Get the feeling the Tigers might, though, with what we've seen here, boys. Just on that, so they've now won three or four. Just how do you blokes sort of see them in comparison to two other sides that have won three flags in our time of watching footy? How do you compare them against the Hawthorne side and the Geelong side who also won three flags? Maxie, quite simply, my answer is I'm going to hold my judgment until the end of next season because if they do win three in a row and they've won four in five years, I think they supersede all those other sides that you just mentioned there. I think Mm. next year we'll get a better read on it from a historical point of view. You just look at that list. You look at how young they are and how experienced they are with some of those players. Like we're talking 23-year-olds who have won their third premiership. It's quite extraordinary. And if they end up winning four in five years, I think you'd have to say they'd be the greatest of those four sides. Yeah, it's it's impossible to rank them. It's all subjective, but... Sort of look at it where Richmond are probably the most like system based. Like, yes, they've got stars, but to me, it seems of those three teams, they're the most system based, which is sort of puts it even higher for me a little bit. I think the Geelong and Hawthorne sides were probably more star studded across the board. When you think back to that Geelong side and you look at their midfield, their back line, and their forward line, all the stars that they had, and also the Hawthorne team, where I think Richmond have probably got fewer stars on the board, but it's probably the system that they play that's so dominant. So, yeah, as you said, we'll see what comes in the next few years, but just to have him in their conversation is high praise enough. It sure is. And look, Serps, um, I think that's a very sensible response. Let's wait and see this time next year because four in five, all of a sudden, you put yourselves into a whole nother category there and you're very much staking a claim to be the best of the lot. Boys, just had a thought, how would this be talking a hypothetical final series and your eight participating teams are this current Richmond team? You've got... Collingwood from the 10-11 Premiership and Grand Final. You've got Hawthorne from the three-peat years. You've got uh, our Essendon side that we're almost too young to remember, sort of the 99 to 2000 years. You've got Brisbane during their three-peat. I've thrown in the Cats with the 7-9-11 Premierships and then the Sydney and West Coast teams from 05-06 window there. Jeez, I'm (laughs) at a loss even there of who comes out on top there or who your best two might be out of that because... It would just be the most fascinating thing to have witnessed ever. It would be impossible to pick a winner out of that one, I would say. that I don't know whether you've found an argument that Richmond's system is probably the most up-to-date, but, you know, it's all hypothetical. These teams aren't going to play each other, but, yeah, no. that would be an incredible watch. But just from an Essendon standpoint, did you see Matty Lloyd sort of mentioned on Trade Radio that it was probably early 2000s where him, Herdy and Kevin Sheen went and tried to recruit Wayne Gary? I did not know about that. I knew about <laughs> the talk. Oh. That would have been Andy. <laughs> So, did they say what sort of era or what years this this was, Max? It would have been early to mid two thousand. I'm guessing yeah. around two thousand three, four ish. I'm think I'm thinking three. Yeah, it would have been around then because that would have been the time that he obviously there was a lot of controversy around his exit of North Melbourne. But apparently, Kevin Sheedy uh, <laughs> and Lloydy and Herdy they all went to his apartment, and Kevin Sheedy pulled out the magnet board with Kerry at centre forward, Lloyd at full forward, and Herd on the half forward flank. But I think Kerry decided that he had to he had to get out of Melbourne. Wow. Would have been handy for them. Wow. wow, Maxie. What about Scotty Lucas? Scotty Lucas as well, <laughs> I know. Wow, that's incredible, Maxie. What an incredible insight there indeed. And we talk about great teams. We're on a great topic here, gents, because on the most recent episode on the couch, the boys asked Damien Hardwick what his theme was around grand final week because, of course, every grand final, the coach picks a theme. And Damien Hardwick brought up the Patriots of 2004 where their big saying back then when the Patriots had won a lot previous to that, but they were trying to go back-to-back for the first time with that group. And the main motto was, do your job. And that's what the Patriots did very well. They were a really strong system-based side. Obviously, they had the champion, Tom Brady, but they also had a lot of contributors. So it was, do your job. That was their motto. And Dimmer was able to pull a lot of similarities between those two sides. It just goes to show, wherever you succeed, there's always another level of succeeding that you can go to. 
And Dimmer definitely brought that up saying, hey, there's still plenty more success to be had here. Let's look at the Patriots in 2004. Yeah, well, he knows all about success, doesn't he, Dimmer? Three flags at Richmond. And he was also at Hawthorne during that early time. I think he was there around 2008 when they won their first flag. And also two flags with both Essendon and Port Adelaide in the early 2000s. So it's a fair resume at the moment. It is. There's There's something quite so special, isn't there, guys, about a simple yet solid system, or in this case, a motto or phrase, perhaps, that every single person, either in the 22 or not, they live by it, they they believe in it, um, and watching it all come together, no matter what team you support, perhaps this week, with the exception of Cats supporters, it's so, so impressive to see. You almost can't help but admire it. And who knows, boys, we talk about the what-ifs and the carry. Well, there was a big what-if when... Dimmer Hardwick was second in line for the Essendon coaching job, of course. The PowerPoint, as we've discussed before, the laptop and the PowerPoint. I know it's all hypothetical hindsight stuff, but geez, it does make you wonder. If Matthew Knights wasn't there, who (laughs) knows what could have been at Bomberland. My gosh, we could be talking about our dynasty. Guys, just on Gary Ablett. Talk about absolute superstars of the game. Unfortunately, it wasn't his night. We know the circumstances. You both touched on it. Does he... Should he, will he get a statue at the MCG or at least at Cadinia Park? Oh, I hope so. Maybe at Metricon as well. <laughs> yeah. Definitely one down at Geelong. I would love to see one of him and his dad, which would be pretty cool. Yeah, what a legend. Like, even after the game to learn that he played the game out with a broken shoulder. Yeah, it just adds to the legend of Gary Ablett. I would have loved to see him get out with a premiership, but, you know, it wasn't to be. But, yeah, what a career. 357 games, two flags, two brown lows. What more can you say? Spot on. I'm sure there'll be something of that kind. And it's just so interesting that you happen to mention the Suns as well. He probably won't be forever, who knows. But at this stage and probably for a long time to come yet, he will remain their best footballer. One thing I am looking forward to is hopefully a book coming out about Gary Ablett Jr., not to mention a biopic. Who would be the lead actor for that biopic if you had to pick one? I reckon later in career, maybe Jason Statham would be good. You might have to slim down a little bit, Maxie. <laughs> I don't know about I like that. that. I like that. It'll be the first film with Statham I've seen him without a gun. <laughs> What about Ralph Fiennes? Because I know at one stage he was being likened to Voldemort when he first got his trim. So possibly Ralph Fiennes might be... <laughs> okay. Might have to do a bit of de-aging on that one. It'd be very interesting to see what he writes post-career and what Gary Ablett actually does post-career, whether he gets mm. into the media, whether he gets into coaching, or whether he just takes a break. We'll see what happens. And just finally on this game, gents, it must be mentioned that Jaden Short ended up winning the Jack Dyer Best and Fairest Medal at the Richmond Football Club. He's had a very tough year. He lost his father earlier this year and obviously had to be in the hubs along with all the other players. It hasn't been the easiest season, but as we've said before, any player who wins the best and fairest in a premiership season is a pretty special player. And Jaden Short, well, you'd have to say he's probably been underrated by a lot of people, but that's a fair achievement for him. Pretty underrated achievement, winning a best and fairest in a premiership year. Super impressive, and you can't help but appreciate what a commendable young man he seems to be and the way he handled himself especially this week was even more admirable absolutely it was and we hope he celebrated well now I thought it was a really beautiful touch just on Gary Ablett where the Richmond players tucked in their premiership medallions they stopped the music halted the celebrations and delayed the lap of honor to chair off as we mentioned, one of the greatest players we've ever seen in our great game. And it was a really nice and respectful touch from Richmond to tuck in those medallions and chair off Gary Ablett. It sure was, and I suppose for Cats fans, perhaps the one special memory I suppose to take from it is that his very last game happened to be back at Geelong. They couldn't have asked for much more out of him in the couple of years that he finished up there. Before we discuss more deeply the spectacle of the night grand final, let's cross live to our Queensland correspondent, Liam O'Grady, who spent all of his life savings to be at this (laughs) year's historic grand final. Did it live up to the hype? Was it worth the price of admission? Let's find out. Liam, over to you. Hello, Michael. Hello, guys, again. Given the 31-point result to the Tigers, take nothing away. It was a fantastic game of footy. Pretty much my tip was pretty much that, but the other way around. Uh, I went in there going for Geelong. Um, I was actually left quite disappointed. I was amazed by how quickly I got into that game and really jumped on the Geelong bandwagon while that game went on to the point where 
I was so nervous in the third quarter and in the last quarter, and I was really devastated when Geelong ended up losing. Uh, we got this Mac Bang on 345 and the gates open, and you know, it was pissing down rain all day in Brisbane. A bit of an um, insight about Brisbane. Uh, we went to the main street, it was good, it was really good. There was footy stuff everywhere. The thing is though, I mean, it could have just been Brisbane, and I'm taking nothing away from Brisbane itself. You knew there was a big game feel, right? You knew there was a big game on. There was something different. But it wasn't a grand final feel. But we're getting to the Gabba. And the rain starts going away. I must say, if you did not know Richmond was a Victorian team, and you know this is the first time you've ever seen AFL in your life, and someone goes, oh, this team's a Brisbane team, you would believe them. It was probably 75% Richmond supporters of that game. Fantastic job from the Tigers. But yeah, so we're getting to the Gabba. We went into the pre-game entertainment. And it was shithouse. If you want to get these new indie artists in to give them exposure, maybe don't make them both cover bands. And then we had the very awkward introduction to the Wolf Mother lead singer. Now they're like, who's here for Geelong? And the crowd cheers. Who's here for Richmond? The crowd cheered. And then they said the Gabba guy's name, and no one actually knew the guy's name. And everyone's like, oh, yay. But who's here for Andrew Stockdale? Wolf Mother, though, was fantastic. Updeck Azalea was fantastic. From Mike Brady from the MCG was fantastic as well. Great to see. Then the game starts, and it is loud. I thought Chris Fagan was talking out of his backside when he said, that a full Gabba could rival 80,000 in the MCG. Um, it was deafening. It was so loud. That first quarter had everything. Started off with Vostin getting knocked out from Dangerfield, who, if he wasn't Dangerfield, he'll probably get a week. But since he is Dangerfield, Nick Vostin will probably get two. Then Abba did his shoulder, and you knew the whole game. You know, he, he wasn't okay. He played injured the entire match. Then towards the end of the quarter, it's a long um, silence the crowd. But you could tell it was danger by the booing. Richmond fans were not happy with Dangerfield. Side note, this whole week's been built up around Dangerfield's first grand final. He's finally made it. You know, crossing from Adelaide to a constant top four club. You know, doing the hard struggle. Finally made the grand final. But what if he has a bad one? And that's what he did. He had a bad grand final. He had an absolute shocker. In the second quarter, Geelong got in front. The Geelong crowd was starting to get louder and louder. And I'm thinking to myself at the time, I'm like, nah, Geelong's biggest issue at the moment is that their forward line's not firing. All their goals are coming from midfielders. Come off the moment, come off the champion. Dusty kicks a goal. Richmond's back in it. And that's halftime. Then the halftime entertainment happened. It was great. The halftime entertainment was fantastic. And here's the big issue with a night grand final. Not many people care about the entertainment as far as I know. We're here to watch the footy and that's it. You know, we're not there to watch flashing lights. It was good, but you know, I'd much rather them just come out and play again. And then the third quarter started. I thought I was re-watching last year's prelim because Richmond just started running over the top. The last quarter started and you just knew, pretty much from the get-go, it was Richmond's game. Geelong were missing targets, they seemed nervous. Ablett looked done, he, he was so hurt. Dangerfield was unsighted. Sal would just make his stupid free kicks. I only wish I was dusty in a grand final because that last goal he kicked in that last quarter had tore the roof off the place. Oh, he made that look easy. Credit to Sam Simpson who got knocked out as well. That was, you know, gutsy effort. The song went and I, I was devastated. I was like, I felt like I was almost about to cry. That's how good I was for the Cats because that's how on board I was. But to the credit, and this is what made it this grand final a lot better for me, the Richmond supporters, the ones near where me and my partner were sitting. And even them, they were singing, they were hugging, they were high-fiving. The Richmond supporters around us were so nice. They were just lovely, lovely people. They seemed to be really happy about what they just achieved. But credit to Richmond, as a well-deserved grand final, Geelong just stopped and with good teams. you got to take your opportunities or else they're going to run over the top of you. Happened to Port the week before. So overall, you know, it was a fantastic grand final. The atmosphere was amazing. For 29,000, you you wouldn't think it by hearing it. It was so loud. Uh, credit to the Brisbane in general for getting on board. But in a rugby state, to get the grand final as good as it was, it was a great effort. Should it ever be at night time again? I say no. Like, I'm not 100% against trying it at night time at the MCG. It's just not AFL. We're there to watch the game, and it's just it just did not feel right. The lead up to the game in Townsville and Cairns. To be fair, you wouldn't tell there was a grand final in any coach. There was no buzz, there was no excitement. And that's talking about the rugby league as well. There was just nothing for both coaches. I hope you guys have a good show. Thank you for having me. That was a nice touch, really nailed that. It was very well done. And gents, we've got to discuss it. 
What was our thoughts on the night grand final? Does it stay next season at the MCG? Or do we go back to the traditional stuff and possibly trial this once every four years? What are our thoughts on it? My personal opinion is that I do still hope we get back to daytime red football. At a worst case, Twilight might be somewhere to experiment. We have spoken about how much we love some of those Twilight prelims over the last five or six years that we've seen, even more perhaps now, I think. Guys, what I want to just get your thoughts on this topic is that because ratings were obviously high, we know that I think they're going to push the ratings strongly as a positive and perhaps a reason for continuing with the concept. I just wonder to what extent those numbers might be slightly adjusted. And I wonder, Fryzy, whether all those pubs that were offering takeaway in Melbourne had their TVs on just to bump up the ratings with no viewers there. So you get double trouble with all those viewers at home having their TVs on as well. It's a fascinating discussion that you do bring up about the ratings because that could really sway the decision to have another night grand final next season. The NRL have been doing Sunday night grand finals for as long as we can remember. And this one, the AFL grand final, absolutely shadowed the NRL grand final. So goes to show it's not just the schedule, but it's also the code. And probably the interest in the code has grown in Queensland this season. Yeah, most definitely. Probably been a case of Queensland is the biggest winner this year in terms of football. And I, look, I can only imagine, guys, that the league is probably relieved at the situation in, in what it's done to pump up Queensland football a little bit. I don't know for sure, but I dare say that uh, it was the kind of little boost that it may have needed. You could possibly say the same thing for New South Wales. I know before, like all year, I've sort of been saying I wanted a rotating fiction. I think, I think there's still room for that. But to be perfectly honest, I wasn't blown away by it. I don't think it was particularly that special, to be honest, the fact that it was a nine. I think the more special thing about it was that it was at, at the Gabba. So it was away from the MCG for the first time. I don't know if kids are, were that wrapped about seeing a light show. It's a bit like fireworks. Once you've seen it once, it's not really that special. So, yeah, I wasn't too blown away with it, to be perfectly honest. And, you know, it, it might be a better spectacle at the MCG, but I don't think, like, the overwhelming majority of people loved it. So is it worth, you know, sacrificing the tradition of having it at the MCG at 2.30 or three o'clock for a couple of lights to go off. I don't know. It's definitely the best halftime entertainment I think we've ever had at a grand final. Quite often you have an artist perform at halftime and people aren't really engaged. People aren't really focused. They're probably more thinking about what's going to happen next, which is totally fair enough if you're really engrossed in the game. But it certainly does give a good look and a good perspective on kind of the level of entertainment and the spectacle that we can present to the rest of the viewers out there who may not be traditionally into AFL. So is it a massive factor not having that high-quality entertainment at halftime? Probably not, but the night entertainment really works. I don't really share that point of view, to be honest. I think you can get the same musical artists to perform halftime. All that's different is you don't have a light show. And you keep the tradition of hundreds of years of playing the game at daytime. So agree that it didn't quite have the same buzz and feel to it. I think as well, just it, it's hard to get that momentum because you're waiting so long the day into the evening. I personally would hate to think that the days of the build-up and the excitement in the morning followed by, you know, hopefully a nice day, not always, you know, a bit of barbecue, lunch, bounce down afternoon and then enjoying the occasion in the evening and strongly hope that 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 particular tradition isn't completely done with. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because you have people who want to evolve the sport and probably look at a lot of American sports and say, why can't we do that? Why can't we get bigger artists and why can't we hype it up? Unfortunately, it sort of comes hand in hand when you have a big final event, the entertainment is talked about a lot and that's just the truth of the industry. The entertainment does go hand in hand with the ratings and whether or not you get the great spectacle during the day or at night, it's almost irrelevant when it comes to those ratings and getting those viewership numbers up for people who may not be traditional AFL supporters. My opinion is I feel like if you're going to trial the night time again at the MCG, I would start with twilight, not with night, because it is an agonising wait. It's a long, long day. And especially now that we will get those festivities back, I think it'll be good to see whether 4.40, an hour and a half after our usual bounce time going in tonight, it'll still give those premiership team and the fans enough time to celebrate afterwards and we can still have those traditions during the day, albeit a little bit later on. But 
with the grand final marathon on Channel 7 as well to watch throughout the night. Maybe it's good to have a sleep in on grand final morning as well. We'll see what happens. I like the look of the night grand final. Didn't have a regular grand final feel though. And it'd be good to see it back at the day next year. But Twilight, I feel like maybe is the next step. I think I mentioned this last week, that Gil McLaughlin's a fan of the day grand final, which bodes well for me. That does make me feel a little bit more confident. And too bad he's such a big supporter of the pre-finals buy as well, Maxi. Well, we can't quite convince him on that one yet at In the Ballpark. Nah, we want that one gone as well. It is time for one of our favourite segments for the last time in season 2020. It is, of course, Bring It Back, Give It The Sack, Have A Crack. My back and my crack. Bring It Back, the free Dustin Martin haircuts at Swan Street. Oh, yes, that's right, boys. In 2017, after the Tigers' historic 2017 Premiership, which broke a 37-year drought. Swan Street in Richmond was going absolutely bonkers. But one man knew how to get people into his place of business that night. Dr. Follicle's Barbershop was giving away free Dustin Martin haircuts. <laughs> the barbershop is only located two kilometres from the MCG, a very convenient location for fans with the wind in their sails coming from the ground to celebrate the victory in Richmond with a Bev or 20. With hairdressers in Victoria now allowed to operate, I say, Dr. Follicles, with the Tigers interstate trifecta for one day, bring back the free Dustin Martin haircut and the tattoo parlours. What about a bit of free ink for the neck and possibly the fingers as well? <laughs> oh, sir. <laughs> I'm with you, mate. Bring back the free Dusty Martin haircuts. <laughs> the haircut shops will be overflowing. They won't be able to social distance in there, unfortunately. Fries, you've got a pretty short haircut. Are you feeling a little bit experimental? You're kind of halfway there. That's right, boys. Look, unfortunately, I'm a week too late for the Dusty since I went in and got the trim up done. But look, can always go back. And uh, I've got to say, I think this is a winner. You're going to get so many young Richmond fans, whether their mothers like it or not. They might have to change the legal age for a tattoo as well for some of those emphatic <laughs> kids. I can just envisage high school suspensions and expulsions left, right and centre. Yeah, that's, you've got it in one. That would be sensational. Give it the sack! After 12 years at one club, a much-loved member of the footy community, Tom Bell Chambers' farewell fairy tale game was denied by a ruthless new Essendon management. That hurts, yes. But what hurts T-Bell even more was on Saturday night after a strong and stirring performance by AFL music icon Mike Brady doing this year's Up There Kazali, they honoured all of the 2020 retirees in a touching video montage. But in one of the biggest outrages of season 2020, our man Tommy Bell Chambers was not cited again. <laughs> oh, gentlemen, this is ridiculous. What does Tommy Bell Chambers have to do to get the AFL's attention? Does he have to get a 2am kebab? Does he have to go to a beauty salon? Does he have to drink drive? Does he have to light a midget on fire? <laughs> what is going on here, gentlemen? This is absolutely ridiculous. And Tommy wasn't the only absentee either. Former Magpies and Lions star Dane Beams, 2011 Cats Premiership winner and talented Lion Alan Christensen, and veteran contributor Ricky Henderson, who looks like he's about 45, who also <laughs> played for Adelaide and recently the Hawks, also missed out from being featured in the tribute video. So I say, AFL, give your disrespect to Tommy Bell Chambers the sack! <laughs> I'm with you there, mate. I don't know who edited the package, but it wasn't Ben Rutten, was it? <laughs> I can't believe this, boys. I, I didn't even know of this until now, but that is inexplicable behaviour. He's had what a poor Tommy couple of weeks. What has Tommy done wrong? <laughs> I don't know. Not been on the park for long enough? <laughs> you could probably argue that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
You, you certainly can. And sometimes in the frustrating ways for Bomber fans, even when he's on the park, he's not quite on the park some weeks, it's felt like. But poor, poor Tommy, though. It is unacceptable, isn't it? Decade-long, over 100-game career. Come on. Come on, AFL. Come on, Mike Brady. Come on, editors. You've got to be better than that. Give it the sack. Another give it the sack. I mentioned this briefly before, gents about the footy marathon on Channel 7. One of the great traditions of the finals week is my old man and I, we love our footy. We sit down on the Friday night before the grand final and we watch some of the great grand final matches, the highlights and some of the best quarters from some of the greatest top shelf grand finals over the decades. In the past, we've seen the 2016 Tom Boyd kick We've seen the Leo Barry Mark. We've seen the 1966 Grand Final because my dad's a Saints supporter. It's the only Grand Final that the St Kilda Football Club have won. But this season, Channel 7, after their horrendous Brownlow medal blunder, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, they only showed, starting from midnight, Adelaide versus Richmond in 2017 and... 2011, Geelong versus Collingwood. They did not show a range of different grand finals for all the footy lovers out there. They only picked two grand finals and they played them in full. They didn't even show the highlights, just the full games. Gents, how lazy is this from Channel 7? You would think having COVID in the middle of the season that they would have had time to prepare this. What is going on? And how ridiculous is this? Is the tradition dead, gentlemen? I don't know. Maybe we can get you a gig at Channel 7 next year for the programming of the night before the grand final. So if they're only playing the 2017 grand final, then I reckon that's pretty poor. Fryzy, what's your opinion on this? Because, of course, you miss out on some of the great umpiring in grand finals (laughs) as well with this package. So you must be absolutely outraged. Oh, yeah, boys. This is, again, another thing that's beyond unacceptable. I personally have never made it tradition of it as such but I've certainly uh, can recall in some years watching quite a few of them I think that's fantastic so you and your dad do that that's terrific but beautiful tradition I it really is I gotta say though I don't like where that's heading the signs aren't good and all the more reason why perhaps it just didn't quite have the same grand final feel to it it lacked a bit of that edge and things like this don't help I know it's a different year but We've got to try and make it as normal as we can. Jeez, it better be back for next year, I've got to say. Otherwise, I'll seriously contemplate what I do with that Foxtel subscription. Big time, Fryzy. Very good call there. Put some pressure on Channel 7. Have a crack time. Now, previously on Have a Crack, I proposed my white away Guernsey rule. And I assure you, it has received high appraisal from the footy community. And our retired players as well, including Michael Barlow and his what he had to say on the rule. I always said, and I think the players agree with me, that when we wore white, we felt fatter. And if you feel fatter, you feel slower and heavier. You can't perform to your peak. What did we, in Geelong, we wore the purple. The prelim, we wore the purple. I was floating in those games. And then we go to the MCG and I was weighed down by not only the buffet that we always used to enjoy on the away trip, but by the white short. And also, it was up around my belly button in the first quarter. I was like, oh, this is... Everything's meant to be going perfect and my jumper's coming up around me nipples. So, yeah. that's that. That's right. <laughs> Wide away jumpers make you look fat and totally put you into a funk when you play on grand final day. Now, I know... Geelong prefers to wear the predominantly white away Guernseys. It's fair to say it works for them. But would have a little more blue in that Guernsey contributed to the result on Saturday? (laughs) I think it would have. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because I think this rule should be extended beyond the AFL to other sporting codes, including the NRL. Because guess what? The Melbourne Storm had to wear it in their grand final. The White returned. Now, I know Penrith were the home side, but there could have been some more purple in that Guernsey, at least in their socks or their shorts. Now, black and purple, do they clash at night? Well, not when the two sides are directly opposed, I don't think. So I say, have a crack at outlawing the White Guernseys in grand finals in any code once 
and for all. And by the way, I know we said this at the start of the show, but a big shout out to Cameron Smith and the designer of the Guernseys for including the big purple V for the state of Victoria after the team spent five months away from home due to being relocated after Victoria's coronavirus crisis. Captain Cameron Smith, he made a special mention to the Victorians stuck at home, not able to celebrate the Storm victory directly. We've done plenty of research for you. Bring it back, have a crack and give it the sacks. There's a lot of work around animals and how we can work them into the game throughout the year. So I can't wait to, to see what you bring up next, next season. Become more and more impressive with each week, sir. It is time for our 2021 Ultimate season preview let's start off with our first talking point number of home and away rounds let's start with you Frizy. what is your predicted amount of home and away rounds i don't quite mind the uh, everyone plays each other once and that's it it sort of cancels out all or not all but a lot of uh the fixture confusion and uh, and discussion that often gets brought up but now i do think they will go back um to what we had before I reckon there'd be a few players around the place that wouldn't necessarily like that. I reckon they might have really felt comfortable with this year's arrangement. But um, again, I think it's going to be exactly that. I think a lot of things that we've seen this year were there for the for the purpose, and we know it's it's obvious why. But I'm not so sure we'll see many of them um, from here on. I just think that AFL's lost too much money where they're going to have to play go back to the normal to the normal rounds, whether it's 22 or 23. I agree with you boys there. I am tipping a 23-round season. What about Thursday night, Serp? Do you reckon they'll be more regular next season? I reckon they will, Maxi. I reckon they will. And I really hope Tuesday nights aren't that regular, to be honest, because I know <laughs> we, we, we put it in our give it the sack section. I think Thursday nights were pretty popular this season. And whether or not that works for people's schedules, especially with a lot of work going back, I'm not too sure. But... I think the AFL really like this, especially the higher authorities. Um, And the fact that we've seen Thursday night finals as well, especially in that first week, does suggest to me that they're going to go with this more regularly. Is that your same opinion? I hope so, mate. I I like Thursday night footy. It's sort of the weekend seems a bit closer um, earlier in the week. And, yeah, you know, especially when if they can make it a big blossom with that um, big blockbuster with that floating fixture, especially should help it. They've been, um, you know, keen on Thursday night footy for some years now, probably the best part of a decade. And um, we're now just starting to see the real um, progression of it. Yeah, I think there'll be plenty of that. And I reckon there'll be the odd Monday again thrown in there too. All right, guys, let's get in to our big predictions for next season. Let's start with the top eight. And I am going to say Brisbane finish as the minor premiers in 2021. Richmond second, the West Coast Eagles. They get that top four finish they've been looking for for a long period of time. And to round out the top four, Port Adelaide. They slip a little bit, but they're still in the top four, in my opinion. Geelong, well, they're going to finish fifth, in my opinion. Collingwood, six. Western Bulldogs, seven. And... I'm going to put all my faith in Essendon and our big traders in our big off-season. I'm going to say we're going to scrape in and make the eight against, I will say this, a very competitive 9, 10, 11 and 12. There's going to be a lot of teams competing for that top eight spot, but I'm going to say our Bombers, we're going to get it. Frizy? Excellent, Serp, and I love the optimism uh, from an Essendon <laughs> point of view. I didn't have us in the eight, though. Um, and uh, as I go through it, you'll see, though, look, Richmond and Brisbane in the one and two for me as well. The order, I, I couldn't tell you, but I have, uh, I have obviously picked Brisbane to, to go all the way and um, actually complete, uh, complete the deal finally. The rest of the top four being Port Adelaide and Collingwood for mine. I wonder if I've put Collingwood just a tad too high. I had the rest of the top eight uh, being the West Coast Eagles, St Kilda, Geelong, and it hurts me to say as a Bombers fan, but I've actually thrown Carlton in there just sneaking inside the eight. I, I do expect them to, to rock it up again um, in many ways, particularly with all of their young players on hand. We know so much about them that um, we've been able to discuss through the year as well. I don't know if I'm going a step too far, but I feel like they're almost ready to launch. I'll actually start from eighth, considering I'm agreeing with Bryce because I've also got Carlton in eighth. Um, uh, yeah, again, they're bringing Saad and Williams in. So I think Saad will pretty much straight away 
um, replace Cade Simpson and uh, Williams will go straight into the midfield to finally help out Cripps and to go along with all the progression of their young players as well as Charlie Kerno and with all the also the progression that Harry Mackay has made this year, I think Carlton, if they don't make the eight next year, the pressure's going to be on because seriously, they've been rebuilding for how long? And you, I mean, Carlton expected to make finals this year. So if they don't make finals next year, considering the trade period that you think they're about to have, as well as bringing back Charlie Kerner, um, you, they're not going to be happy. So I think Carlton, I've got them in eighth, and I think they have to make the eight next year. Otherwise, pressure's, pressure's on big time. I'll, bet, I'll go up the ladder. So seventh, I've got St Kilda. I think I think they'll probably have a harder draw and seem to sort of figure, figure them out a bit, which we sort of saw later in the year. Um, I think they started the year a lot stronger than they finished it, even though they did win that final against the Bulldogs. I still got them making the eight, but I think I think they'll probably be a little. I know they finished six, but I've got them around that seventh mark. Six, I've got Melbourne. I actually like. I don't think people are talking about talking enough about how much um, Ben Brown could make a difference if he gets his if he gets his body right because he's kicked sixty goals the last three years, and this is what Melbourne been crying out for, and they're going to get him at a, at a reduced rate. From what I'm hearing, at about 500 grand. So I know people just, you know, they tend to just wave off Ben Brown and sort of laugh at him. But he's a serious, seriously good player. He's kicked 60 over 60 goals in three years running, and you know, this year just didn't go to plan for him. He's playing in one of the worst sides in the competition, and he's got a knee injury. So yeah, I think getting Ben Brown, which looks all just about certain, is going to make a massive difference to that Melbourne side. And I think they'll they'll improve and yeah. Talk about pressure on coaches. I think the pressure's on Simon Goodwin. They have to make they have to make the eight next season. So I've got Melbourne at six and the pressure's on them. Fifth, I've got Port Adelaide. I'm still a little bit worried about their back line. And as well as, you know, I've talked about it all year, but if if Charlie Duck, Charlie Dixon doesn't fire, then where are the goals going to come from? So they'll have another good um home and away season. I think still finishing fifth is a good result for Port Adelaide. Fourth, I've got West Coast. I think, you know. I've talked about this a little bit, but I'm worried about their ageing list. I think they're getting a bit older. So I think if they don't make the top four again, which they haven't done in the last two seasons, they're going to struggle. So for me, for me, I don't think West Coast is a team that can win win the premiership outside of the top four. So this is potentially when you talk about all their ageing stars with Kennedy and Hearn and the like, you know, before, I reckon this is the last chance they've got with this group. Because I think if they don't win it next year, then it's it, they could be in a tricky little position. Third, I've got Richmond. Um, yeah, they typically finish third. <laughs> this is my ladder at the end of the home and away season. So, you know, they're, they're going to be right up there again. There's no surprise there. Second, I've got Geelong. I think I think Geelong will be right up there again. They'd, they'd never go away, Geelong. And they're, they're going to raid um, Jeremy Cameron. So <laughs> it's a fair, fairly handy recruit on top of Sean Higgins. So... And it must mean that number one has to be our mighty Bombers, Maxie. You're very confident. <laughs> Not quite. Um, well, they will have a fairly handy recruit you used to wear red and black, unfortunately. But I reckon Brisbane will be at the end of the home and away season. I think Brisbane are a really good home and away team. But, um, you know, they're going to they're gonna have their fair share of games at the Gabba. They're going to improve again on the lessons that they've learned out of the last two seasons, having got made it to a preliminary final. They'll be better again with McCluggage and Barry and Rayner and Bailey and all these youngsters and Hipwood. And obviously Joe is going to strengthen their strengthen their forward line as well. So they'll be they'll be I think they'll be right up there. I think they'll be I think Brisbane are locked for top four next season and I've got them number one because I think they'll win so many games throughout the home and away season. It's just whether or not they can put it all together come finals. It will be Brisbane for me, though. As I said, I do think they can go that next step. Um, And, of course, if they make those improvements to their list with recruiting that we expect them to, I can't see how that uh, doesn't work further in their favour. If they can get that right and they can get a good home and away and secure that double chance, I'll give them every chance. So very good tip there from you, Frizy. Maxie, who are your premiers going to be for 2021? I'm going to go the boring answer and say Richmond because I just think they're too good at the moment. And, you know, we've just seen for the last few years, nobody's been able to stop them. So come finals time. So I think they'll be too good. My one concern is that during the trade period is that they're going to have um, teams are going to come and start picking off their depth players and that might hurt them throughout the year. And maybe towards 
towards the end of the year, but I just think come finals time, this team will be up and about. I don't think they're going to be losing anyone of too much substance. So I th- my tip will be Richmond, but having said that, if I had to tip anyone other than Richmond, then I would go with Friesy and pick the Brisbane Lions. I think they'll improve from within, and also if they can get Joe up and about, then he's going to significantly improve that forward line, which I think is probably my my major worry with the Brisbane Lions. So if I had to tip someone other than Rich other than Richmond, I'd be with Friday and go with the Lions. And as you mentioned there as well with Joe Danaher, that medical team that is now at Brisbane helped him get to that All-Australian season in 2017. So can they get him up again? That will be the big question for 2021. Let's get on to the wooden spoon. And I have put a club that has a lot of off-field turmoil at the moment. They've lost their senior coach before the 2021 season has already started. And I'm talking about North Melbourne. Very hard to see them winning more than a handful of games. And it's going to be a pretty long road back for them before they're truly competing at their absolute best. So it's going to be North for me too, Seb. So I think there's... The, the bottom four for me is difficult to decide, but the wooden spoon, perhaps not. So I just don't know if there's a club struggling quite as much as them. I, I'm not sure um, how uh, how pleasing 2021 is going to be for their fans, all things considered. It seems like it's a bit of a shambles at the moment and there might be a fair bit of pain ahead first. We've, we've got a sweep here. I've got North as well, but... What I will say to the North supporters is at least now you finally know where you're at. So I know there's a bit of turmoil and obviously they're looking for a coach at the moment. But, you know, there's no there's no false sense of security that North Melbourne have got now. They know where they're at and they know that they're in for years of pain. I still think with if they can get Cunnington back and they can get Zeeble consistently on, on the park, then that'll help their youngsters. But, yeah, they've got to go to the draft and obviously they've delisted almost a quarter of their list. So there's plenty of pain to come, but you know, at least they know where they're at. And I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be light to come in the, in the years coming. Now, what is your most improved side for 2021 fellas? Now I've went with Sydney because I really like the young crop of talent that they have, and I'm sure they'll have their hands on a few more academy players as well. So the talent's just going to keep growing for this club. And if they get Buddy Franklin back, that could be a very exciting prospect. And little Tommy Patley, the smart ass, will be running around as well. So I'm tipping Sydney to rise up the ladder here and be one of the most improved sides for 2021. And they did upset a few of the contenders along the way. And they'll be a dangerous side to come up against next season, in my opinion. Frizy, who have you got as the most improved side in 2021? Well, having spoken about their possible rise uh, and even for mine up into eighth position I have gone for Carlton in that respect could have gone Fremantle for this one too I think there will be multiple sides that will improve um, and equally many that will slide but yeah the the blues for mine no surprise here mate I've gone for my boys the Freo Dockers I almost I wanted to get them to sneak them in eighth but I couldn't do it I don't think they'll quite be there but I reckon they'll be up around the 10th 10th mark I love the way Justin Longmuir coaches um, and I love Fremantle's young young players all around the ground, but especially their midfield. Um, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch Freo next year. So I, I rec- I'm hoping they'll play finals. But I reckon they'll. I reckon you'll see how how this team's going to play, um, and you'll see all the improvement from their from their young midfielders, especially. So hopefully, that, um, I'm hoping they can sneak into the finals. But I reckon they'll be around that tenth mark. And they'll be able to train more of Justin Longmuir's game style as well. And especially suited to that very quick surface at at Optus Stadium. They're going to be a very exciting prospect in 2021. And yeah, for his 53rd season in a row, big old David Mundy as well running around in that midfield. It's going to be great for those young guns coming as well. So yeah, that's a good tip there, Maxie. Your Fremantle Dockers rising up the ladder in 2021. Now, the headline you will see, my headline that you will see in 2021 is full MCG in one of the best grand finals we've seen in recent memory. And contrary to that, the headline that you won't see is full Gabba in one of the best grand finals we've seen in recent memory. Frizy, what are your headlines? I like it, Serp. I'm going a bit of a different way to yours, though, but I certainly hope out of the two of them, yours is the one that eventuates. Mine is... Smallest ever Anzac Day crowd at the G. 
Uh, I think we can safely say uh, we're not going to see anywhere that uh, North Melbourne have convinced Mick Malthouse out of retirement. <laughs> Maxie, what's the headline that you will see in 2021? Well, I had to come up with a headline during, during the show. So I've actually come up with three of them, but I don't have a headline that we won't see. So the first one relates to the trade period. Dons will land Dunkley on the deadline. I reckon that deal will get done right on the deadline. I think Josh Dunkley wants to come to the Bombers, but I don't. I think the Bulldogs will hold their ground right until the last second where Essendon hopefully give him an offer they can't refuse. So I reckon Josh Dunkley will be playing in red and black Next season, someone who won't be, though, I reckon Brisbane will get Joe right. I reckon we'll see Joe come good. Um, I know his performances, apart from that Hawthorne game, sort of tapered off. But to, just to say that his body was well enough to get those games in, that I think he'll have a fairly good preseason. And come next season, I think he'll be up and about and Brisbane will get him right. And hopefully for Joe, he'll be kicking accurately in Brisbane and helping helping the Lions to a top four finish. And also, Ross Lyon will get a phone call from someone. So I've went through all the teams, and I think there are certain teams who, if they have a poor year, might think about calling Ross. And whether that's Carlton, GWS, Melbourne, or even North Melbourne, I reckon one of those teams will call Ross Lyon. Come on, Maxie, throw us one headline you won't see. What's an impossibility in your opinion? Uh-huh. Essendon to make the eight. Won't happen. <laughs> there you go. Convincingly, the headline you won't see in 2021 for Maxie. He doesn't have faith in us, boys, at least in 2021 to make the No one's going to kick any goals for us next year. Our top goal kicker will kick 20 goals. I think the last time we did our predictions, we said that West Coast would be wooden spooners, and I think they ended up finishing in the top four. So we had a bit of egg on our face that year. <laughs> Hopefully we're proven somewhat right Maybe we'll do a, a show early next year So maybe we'll update, update our um, outlooks and predictions Earlier, early, um, just before the season starts next year That is all we have time for for today's episode A big thank you to everyone in the footy community Who contributed to the 2020 Toyota AFL Premiership season happening We all had our doubts when the COVID-19 pandemic struck our great nation. But because of the great resilient people in our community who have a strong vision, sacrificed everything and executed this vision professionally, it's the reason why we sit here today with a successful AFL season behind us. To the players, coaches and staff in our 18 football clubs, thank you. You have been the true stars of the show. To the management of the AFL and the Queensland government, congratulations. You stood up when the competition needed strong leadership and you delivered. I truly hope the Queensland people will continue to embrace the rise of the Brisbane Lions and hopefully the Gold Coast Suns and host many finals games in the future. A big thank you to our special guests that came on board in 2020, being Courtney Dempsey for our episode about the Sir Doug Nichols round and Michael Barlow about giving his awesome insights into the grand final week and preliminary final week. And to Max Tonner and Ryan Hartwick, thank you for being on In The Ballpark for every single episode of our most successful season yet. You guys have been truly amazing. Uh, thank you, sir. You've done a wonderful job um, hosting the show every week and during lockdown. Um, I'm sort of thankful that we had to had something to look forward to every pretty much Tuesday. So thanks, thank you to you, sir, for hosting every week and to you, Friday as well, for all your great work. Thanks, Maxie. Likewise, straight back at you there. Couldn't agree more. And, yes, Serps, you, are, you really are the man behind the production. As many plaudits as possible to you and uh, team. It's been wonderful. You're quite right. The most successful effort yet. And um, we made it. We got through to here. There were times uh, between April to June when we weren't sure that this would be possible. So you've got to love that. Well done, guys. Very well said, boys. And thank you very much for those lovely compliments. Also, big thank you to Liam O'Grady for all of his foreign correspondence for us from Queensland. And also to another Liam, Liam Milner, for the incredible 2020 cover that we've had on our podcast. So a massive shout out to him. And of course, 
to you, the listener at home. The biggest thank you to you. Your support has truly meant the world to us. Please continue liking and supporting our content during the off-season, the 2021 AFL season and beyond. We look forward to talking footy with you again in 2021, where Essendon will win their first final in 17 years. St Kilda, led by Stephen Milne in the team song, win their first flag in 69 years, which is a very appropriate number for Stephen Milne. And when Donald Trump, Joe Exotic, Connor McKenna, Razor Ray, Pat McAfee, and the Seattle Kraken will join us live on the show. Thank you, and see you in 2021. Around for a barbie. Come on, what do we look like? Rookies? <laughs> okay. Half calf? Right, half calf. Half calf. We're, we're, we're going to have a half calf. We're going to have half calf. Yeah. Yay. It may even be referred to up there the best and fairest as the Gary Ablett medal. Have I got that right or, or am I imagining that? Oh, I couldn't answer that question. <laughs> I don't have the sons. Nathan Bock medal. <laughs> Nathan Bock. Jared Brennan. Jared Brennan medal. <laughs> I think the Malcolm Blight medal sounds more like it. Definitely not the Carmichael Hunt medal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the mosquitoes just gone past my laptop screen, sir. So, can you get up your YouTube? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah right. play, play, play the ultrasonic sound. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good see, time. See, I bet the mosquito is mistake. Like, whenever it hears my voice, it can probably detect it on Maltese. <laughs> so, it's probably attacking oh, for you sure. for no reason. It's probably attacking me on, on your screen. Well, I've got a bit of Maltese heritage as well, mate. So, I think yes. they're after me. I think you're the only safe one, Fryzy. <laughs> I think so. For the for the time being, anyway, I'm not I'm not stepping outside. That's for sure. Want to know how that turd got there? Carol f- bashing.